This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by Alan Tate. Alan Tate was born in 1899 and raised in Kentucky. His elementary education was erratic due to his family's frequent moves, but he was influenced by his mother's love of literature and read extensively on his own. While attending Vanderbilt University, Tate was mentored by the poet John Crow Ransom. He grew increasingly aware of his Southern culture and sensibility, and was the youngest of the original Fugitive Poets, an informal group of Southern intellectuals associated with the Fugitive magazine. The Fugitive writers practiced and defended formal technique in poetry and drew from rural Southern experience. The Fugitive movement gained prominence in the 1920s and into the Depression, and eventually Tate became a literary spokesman for his generation. From 1928 to 1932, Tate lived in France. He was still writing exclusively about the American South, while socializing with Ernest Hemingway, Gertrude Stein, and other American expatriates. During this time, he wrote two biographies of Civil War heroes and produced his most famous poem, Ode to the Confederate Dead. Tate's classical education influenced his writing. He made numerous classical allusions as he adhered to traditional poetic forms. Tate's poetry often confronts the relationship between an idealized past and a present deficient in both faith and tradition. Tate was aware of the failings of the Old South, but it remained the primary model of his imagination. As editor for Sewanee Review in the mid-1940s, Tate was an influential literary critic. He mentored younger poets John Berryman and Randall Jarrell and taught literature at the University of Minnesota from 1951 until his retirement. Alan Tate died in Nashville in 1979. The following poems were recorded at the Library of Congress in 1947. Sonnets at Christmas 1. This is the day his hour of life draws near. Let me get ready from head to foot for it, most handily with eyes to pick the year for small feed to reward a feathered wit. Some men would see it an epiphany at ease at food and drink, others at chase. Yet I, stung lassitude, with ecstasy unspent, argue the season's difficult case so. Man, dull creature of enormous head, what would he look at in the coiling sky? But I must kneel again unto the dead, while Christmas bells of paper, white and red, figured with boys and girls, spilt from a sled, ring out the silence I am nourished by. Two. Ah, Christ, I love you, rings to the wild sky, and I must think a little of the past. When I was ten, I told a stinking lie that got a black boy whipped. But now at last the going years with an accurate glow reverse like balls Englished upon green bays. Let them return. Let the round trumpets blow the ancient crackle of the Christ's deep gaze. Deafened and blind with senses yet unfound, am I untutored to the afterwit of knowledge 
knowing a nightmare has no sound. Therefore, with idle hands and head, I sit in late December before the fire's days, punished by crimes of which I would be quit. More sonnets at Christmas, ten years later. One. Again, the native hour lets down the locks, uncombed and black, but gray the bobbing beard. Ten years ago, his eyes, fierce shuttlecocks, pierced the close net of what I failed. I feared the belly cold, the grave clout, that betrayed me slithering in the rift of cordial seas. Ten years is time enough to be dismayed by mummy Christ, head crammed between his knees. Suppose I take an arrogant bomber, stroke by stroke, up to the frazzled sun to hear sun ghostlings whisper, yes, the capital yoke, remove it, and there's not a ghost to fear this crucial day, whose decapitated joke languidly winds into the inner ear. Two. The days that end and there's nowhere to go. Draw to the fire. Even this fire is dying. Get up and once again politely lying, invite the ladies towards the mistletoe with greedy eyes that stare like an old crow. How pleasantly the hoddy wreaths did hang. And how stuffed Santa did his reindeer clang above the golden oaken mantle years ago. Then hang this picture for a calendar as sheep for goat. And pray most fixedly for the cold martial progress of your star. With thoughts of commerce and society. Well-milked Chinese. Negras who cannot sing. The Huns gelded and feeding in a ring. Three, give me this day a faith not personal, as follows. The American people fully armed with assurance policies, righteous and harmed, battle the world of which they are not at all. That lying boy of ten who stood in the hall, his hat in hand, thus by his father charmed, you may be president, was not alarmed nor even left uneasy by his fall. Nobody said that he could be a plumber, carpenter, clerk, bus driver, bombardier. Let little boys go into violent slumber, Aegean squall and squalor, where their fear is of an enemy in remote oceans, unstalked by Christ. These are the better notions. Four. Citizen, myself, or personal friend, your ghosts are Plato's Christians in the cave. Unfix your necks, turn to the door. The knave gives back the cheated and light dividend so long sequestered. Now, new rich, you'll spend flesh for reality inside a stone, whose light obstruction, like a gossamer bone, dead or still living, will not break or bend. Thus light, your flesh made pale and sinister, and put off like a dog that's had his day. You will be Plato's darlings. And you, sir, albino man bleached from the mortal clay, mild-mannered, gifted in your master's ease, when the sun squats 
upon the waveless seas. Winter Mask to the memory of W.B. Yeats. Towards nightfall, when the wind tries the eaves and casements, a winter wind to the mind, long gathering its will, I lay the mind's contents bare as upon a table, and ask in a time of war whether there is still to a mind frivolously dull anything worth living for. If I am meek and dull and a poor sacrifice of perverse will to call the act from the attempt, just look into damned eyes and give the returning glare, for the damned like it, the more damnation is exempt from what would save its air with a thing worth living for. The poisoned rat in the wall cuts through the wall like a knife, then blind, drying, and small, and driven to cold water, dies of the water of life. Both damned in eternal ice, the traitor become a boor, having led his friend to slaughter, now bites his head. Not nice, the food that he lives for. I supposed two scenes of hell, Two human bestiaries might uncommonly well convey the doom, I thought. But lest the horror freeze the gentler estimation, I go to the sylvan door, where nature has been bought in rational proration as a thing worth living for. Should the buyer have been beware? It is an uneven trade, for man has wet his hair under the winter weather with only fog for shade. His mouth a bracketed hole picked by the crows that bore nature to their hanged brother who rattles against the bowl the thing that he lived for. I asked the master Yates, whose great style could not tell why it is man hates his own salvation, prefers the way to hell, and finds his last safety in the self-made curse that bore him towards damnation, the drowned undrowned by the sea, the sea worth living for. That was Alan Tate, recorded at the Library of Congress in 1947, and used by permission of Farrer, Strauss, and Giroux, and by the estate of Alan Tate. You have been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation, in collaboration with PoetryArchive.org. To learn more about Alan Tate and other Essential American Poets, And to hear more poetry, go to poetryfoundation.org.